This is CliffCentral.com. Please note that the views expressed and the advice provided in this show are for general advice and entertainment purposes only. Nothing stated should be treated as a substitute for your own independent legal advice based on your own specific facts and objectives. Therefore, the presenter and CliffCentral.com accept no liability of any nature whatsoever, either expressed or implied. Law. Like you've never heard it before. The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg on cliffcentral.com. I'm Gary Hertzberg, and this is The Laws of Life on cliffcentral.com. Alongside me today, Lionel Makokotlela. Dumela Gary and Dumela Tia Podcasters and our guest today. What about the San Bonani? San B- oh, no, that's yours. That's mine. Yeah. Based Na- on the old president. You, you're now on the vendor. <laughs> you're now talking. Yeah, hey, yeah Cool. Lines. Yeah. Okay, today's uh, show is about an application to court by a ratepayers association regarding shabins of all things. Hmm. Residents uh, are and were complaining that their neighborhoods are overrun with shabins and that these establishments are a problem and contribute to the degeneration of their communities. Yeah. On the other hand, lines, as you well know, Shabins have historically played a, an extremely important part in unifying roles in communities. And uh, historically, um, their operators were the much-loved Shabin queens, as they were called. They sold everything, including a decent meal, a brandy, a gin, and then also the self-made alcoholic beverage known as Skokian. <laughs> This is our much beloved who passed away today, Hugh Masikela, Ramapolo Hugh Masikele. We play the song as a tribute, a song in his memory, uh, one of the greatest of all time South Africans. Wasn't he, Lance? He was an icon. May his soul rest in peace. And for all the contribution that his music has actually made towards uh, the liberation of our country. Absolutely. Yeah. Lines, uh, the song is called Skokian. Of yes. all things, uh, do you know much about the drink? Yeah, it's like Nkombo tea where <laughs> it's very potent. Yeah. That's all I can say. <laughs> it's very, very potent. Did you sit in a Shabin drinking a Nkombo or a... Not quite. Not quite. Yeah. <laughs> okay, with us in studio today is attorney Anele Kumalo. Uh, she's with Worksman's in Johannesburg, and she's with Maurice Smithers, who represents the Yeovil Bellevue Ratepayers Association. They're going to tell us about the latest court decision on Shabin's. Welcome to you both, Anele and Maurice. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. We're very pleased and excited to be here. Great. Yeah, to have you in our presence. Yeah, she's That's originally, right. I think you were born in in KZN, in Port Shepson area. Right? to be precise, yeah. yes. Okay, cool. Yes. And that's yeah. basically Mtungwa, it's a clear name. So when you greet them, Mtungwa. Oh, okay, Lionel. Yeah. I learned something. <laughs> <laughs> Our email address, if you want to write to Lionel, uh, and you single and you male, Lionel will take your, your messages. 
it's uh, law at cliffcentral.com and then our Facebook page, The Laws of Life with Gary Hertzberg, lines the Twitter handle. It's Ed Hertz Law, H-E-R-T-Z-L-A-W. Today we partnered with Legal Talk South Africa, which has a Facebook a membership of 160,000. And constantly growing, if I may add. You will be taking some of the questions from their members. Yeah. Okay, gent and lady, or lady and gent, let's talk about, first of all, if I may, Maurice Smithers. Let me introduce you in a little more detail. Um, you have a long history of, of doing good in South Africa, and uh, you're very much part of the struggle. Uh, give us a bit of background about yourself. Yeah, well, um, I was I was born in Eastern Cape, actually, in Grafenet, a little town called Grafenet, but I uh, lived in Joburg since the age of 10 and from the age of 20 yeah got involved in various social justice issues including obviously at the time the anti-apartheid struggle uh paid my dues over the years um worked in the udf and then in the in the 80s and then did a stint in government in the 90s into the 2000s but i've spent a lot of time working at community level uh, since the 1990s, particularly in the area where I lived, Yeovil Bellevue, which is a, an extraordinary uh, area that has gone through a, amazing transition from being a whites-only area to being uh, a very mixed area to being today, in fact, an area uh, that has over 50% foreign nationals living there. And it's now about 98% black. So I, I, was, I, I lived there... Uh, for a very long time and watched the deterioration of the place uh, but tried with with other community members to to see how we could work with government to to arrest the the, the changes that were happening there you know I, what, the important thing to remember is that what happened to Yeovil Bellevue is what happens in all major cities where there's inner city decline uh, and there are ways of dealing with it so so that's what I did for many years and in doing that, we came up against the challenges of alcohol abuse, which is why we ended up um, dealing with this particular case uh, uh, that that we won uh, late last year. Thanks. Okay, we'll to come to we'll come to all that. Um, you've, what you've omitted to tell us that is that you back to you to Varsity. You're doing a master's in something. Correct. Yeah. After 45 years, which yeah. is quite something. Wow. Yeah, I dropped out of university back in '72, and uh, because of my work in Yeovil. I decided to go back and study urban planning. Wow, that's uh, great. And I've just done a year mm -hmm. of urban planning, uh, a, a diploma, and now I'm going into a master's this year. Okay, so uh, obviously as a you're a resident of the area. Uh, not anymore. I still live in the east, quite yeah. near to Yeovil Bellevue. I still work there, but I'm not actually staying there anymore. What, uh, what brought you to Worksman's, or how did you get there? What was the uh, complaint that you had? The the particular complaint that we had was that government, the the Gauteng government, had been trying since two thousand and three to come up with a strategy for dealing with shabins. Uh, shabins, by their very nature, are illegal liquor outlets. In fact, a lot of people don't know that the word shabin is not even a South African word. It's actually an Irish, a Gaelic word, mm. which means. Uh, Unlicensed uh, well, it, house it of, actually yeah. meant illegal whiskey originally, yes. and then became a word for an unlicensed liquor outlet. There's actually a rock a rock band. 
called Shabin from from Ireland. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so Shabins would probably have been introduced in South Africa in the uh, the, the late nineteenth century, uh, mm. particularly in Joburg, with the mines, and they they grew from the early nineteen hundreds, uh, uh, early twentieth century, because just post the South African War, the sale of what you call white liquor to black people mm. was completely banned. Yes. And that ban stayed mm. in place until 1961. So when Hugh Masekela is singing about Skokian and various other things, Skokian is in fact not a traditional alcohol. It's an attempt by the black community to create a more potent liquor than Mkumboti mm. um, because people weren't allowed to actually drink uh, a white liquor. Although we know that it did happen, as particularly we know from the Sophia Town years. Yes. Because everybody talks about the Sophia Town and the Shabins and so on that were there. So the Gauteng government was trying to deal with this. Uh, and one of the ways in which they thought to do that was to, in 2004, to introduce what they called a Shabin permit. And they invited every one of the something like 16,000 Shabins to apply for a Shabin permit. There were no requirements except that you existed. Mm-hmm. So if you had a Shabin, you had, I think, three months to go to the Gauteng Liquor Board or, or uh, Gauteng Government and to register as a Shabin, and you got a Shabin permit, which protected you for 18 months from any kind of legal action. And in that time, they wanted all of those Shabins to apply for a license, one or other license in terms of the Gauteng Liquor Act, of which there are things like tavern licenses, pub licenses, mm-hmm. restaurant licenses, etc. Unfortunately, for a variety of reasons, including the bureaucratic process involved in getting a liquor license, the cost and so on and so forth, most Jabins didn't do it. So mm-hmm. by the end of 18 months, government was now stuck because they could, if, they, if they were to scrap the permits, then they would have to target all of the illegal Shabins. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to do that, so they gave themselves, they kept on rolling this permit system over for about another eight years, until in 2012, they developed what they called their Shabin regulations. Yes. And the Shabin regulations were an attempt to create a license that would, uh, would be much cheaper, much less onerous, would make it more possible to bring the Shabins into the regulatory uh, uh, fold. The problem for us, we had no problem with doing that. I mean, we think it's very important to regulate uh, the industry and to bring people in and to encourage people to improve their businesses and so on. The problem we had was that the, the, the National Liquor Act says, for example, one of the objects of the Act is to provide for public participation in the consideration of applications for registration of people who uh, manufacture and distribute alcohol. And the Gauteng Liquor Act says every applicant shall give notice of an application by publication in no less than two newspapers circulating in the area in which the premises are situated in the prescribed manner and in the provincial gazette as well as causing the notices to be affixed to the premises. Yes. And that it would invite interested persons to lodge any objections in terms of Section 25. Mm-hmm. So the idea was that because liquor is not an ordinary product, because liquor has an impact on communities, communities should have the right to object if somebody applies for a license. Yes. 
And once you objected, then there'd be a hearing and all parties would be able to put their case. That requirement was excluded from the Shabin regulations, Mm -hmm. which meant that all of the people living in the vicinity of the 16,000-odd Shabins that were in Gauteng had no right Mm -hmm. to object if they applied for a liquor license. And that was the substance of our case. We said the process is, the, the, the idea of the regulations is good, the process of regulation is good, what is not good is removing from people the right. Why, why did you and your association take this matter to court? Well, we've been battling around the issue of alcohol in Yeovil Bellevue for years. Um, How many Shabins are there? Not that many Shabins, actually. It's only about, mm. There were only about 20, mm-hmm. but there were more than 100 liquor outlets. In Yeovil Bellevue? Yeah. What are we talking, two streets? Uh, well, no, 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 uh. dotted all over the place. Okay. Uh, but it's about 1.6 square kilometers. And how many schools in the area? There's about probably six to ten schools of one kind or another, two government schools and then a lot of private schools. I, was, the, was the intention that this was all very prejudicial towards kids and the community? To Is the community it, at large. Yeah. You know, and, and again, the idea wasn't to say that people shouldn't have licenses or shouldn't have their businesses, mm. but that if they lived near people who didn't want them to be there, that people should have the right to object. And we had this bizarre, uh, we went to a hearing in Alex. And we had this bizarre encounter with the liquor board who said, when we said to them, why is this requirement not there? Mm. They said, no, no, but these Shabins have been there since 2004. There's no need to tell the community they're there. Mm. The liquor board itself completely misunderstood what the purpose of the the advertising is, which is to give people the right to object. object. Absolutely. How did you get to the very, very well-known and famous law firm, one of the big ones in South Africa, and to Anele Kumalo. How did you get to her? Well, we went to, to Pro Bono, yeah. uh, um, and we said we need some legal help because mm-hmm. we were you know, an association of ratepayers. It's a, being a poor community, people didn't have money to go and pay lawyers, advocates, and so on. Mm-hmm. So through Pro Bono, we got to Worksman's, and they mm-hmm. did an incredible job mm-hmm. over a period of four years. Because we, we initially engaged with them. Did this, this case go on for four years? Four years. Let's talk to a bit to Anela about it. Uh, did you meet up with Maurice in the beginning or did you come in afterwards? Or We did. From the yeah. word go, um, I've been, been working very well with Maurice. Yes. Um, we obviously met through ProBrona.org. Yes. And it initially started off with engaging with the Department of Economic Development and the Gauteng Liquor Board bringing to the table what our concerns were about the regulations. You're a mom, Anele. How yes. did you feel about this from a, from a personal point of view, having these shabins all over the place? I mean, do you feel strongly that something should, be, should have been, had to be done about it? Or? Quite strongly, yes, yeah. I did. Um, and what we also tried to make everyone aware of was that we were also trying to strike a balance mm-hmm. between giving off, um, between, between allowing... Um, the, the shipping owners to continue to operate their businesses because we understood and accepted the economic benefits that um, uh, flow from these kinds of institutions and a lot of them are sometimes run by women. Yeah. So it was balancing the rights of those um, entrepreneurs mm-hmm. against those of um, families and the, the community at large. So that was the key focus of this particular um, application that we launched was mm-hmm. to strike a balance between those two where we both get to 
one have our say on the location of a particular establishment, um, juxtaposed to um, not having a shopping next to a school or a clinic or a, or, a, or a place of learning. Now, before you launched this, this massive application to court, you obviously tried to talk to the powers. Uh, their hands were tied, I guess. They said, well, that's the law. We can't change it. There is no right uh, of the objection by the community. Is that the kind of response you got from them? Completely. And they took it a step further to say, but hang on, your client can't come at this late juncture to complain about um, the actually the actual award of the shipping permits because as Maurice explained these were permits that had been existing for quite a number of years mm. and what um the initial system also did not allow is for people to actually object at that particular stage so what the government was saying to us is like hang on um you can't come now the system has been in place there are laws that, pre- that prohibit you from objecting to the manner in which we've sought to regulate these institutions after such a number of years. And we said that's not how the law works in this particular instance. If you are setting to rechange, uh, change how you regulate these particular institutions, we should be allowed to have a voice and participate in how you seek to regulate these particular institutions. It was a very brave application to court, if, if you don't mind me saying. Uh, I mean, you're fighting government here, uh, all kinds. I mean, there were yourself, the Yeovil Bellevue Ratepayers Association, and another against uh, 22 respondents, mm. uh, most of whom were tavern owners and Shabin owners, mm. and then the government as well. And you took them to court. You said, listen, we want our say. You, you were trying to get the law changed here. At the time, mm. is that what you were seeking? Mm. We were trying to get, to, to, we were trying to make sure that the values of the constitution being espoused in, in, in section 33, that we should all be given an opportunity mm. to participate in important decision making. Mm. And it was one, it was a mammoth task. As you can see, there were a number of parties involved, some very senior counsel um, involved in the hearing of the application. And we we were also armed to the teeth. We had quite a strong legal team. Who we, was your legal team? Um, we worked with um, Advocate John Mayering yes. from the um, Sanson Chambers. Uh-huh. We also had a number of um, advocates um, consulting and assisting us throughout the subsistence of the matter. And also some other various organizations, such as the Teddy Bear Clinic, who assisted in the collation and putting together of evidence that supports the um, negative impact that alcohol can have on certain communities just to further drive home that point that um, in as much as there's an economic benefit to, to, to be derived from the sale of alcohol, there's also a, um, a, uh, a, a juxtaposed um, negative impact that it does have on children primarily. I, I note from the judgment of the court, the counsel that represented the respondent the, against you was the Advocate Kruger Senior Counsel, Advocate Budlender, who's a well-known counsel, and Dalian Pofu. Correct. I mean, could you get stronger? You must have been you must have been trembling at the knees when you walked into court. We weren't. We knew that the merits were on our side. Yeah. The court had pronounced on many occasions the importance of Audi Alpartum, which is giving um, giving another person an opportunity to speak. And in as much as we were, it was literally just me and the advocates and, and Naledi, um, um, our colleague who assisted me on the matter on the day of the hearing. Um, but we knew that the law and the facts were on our side. And there was no turning about. And what I think there was a misunderstanding on the part of the respondents is that we wanted to do away entirely with the regulation or the the, 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 the existence of Shabins. Mm. And that was never our intention. Mm. 
we understood and we made, in our arguments we made sure that we drove home the point that we understand the imp- the importance the socio-economic importance of shippings in the context of um, your townships and in your urban living spaces. We just wanted to make sure that the those economic um, enterprises coexist efficiently with the needs of the communities. Okay, you uh, all the, the matter was heard on affidavits, mm-hmm. so no one gave evidence in court. The papers from your side and all twenty two respondents, whatever, must have run into thousands of pages, or was it mainly on a legal aspect? They did, and yeah. we had quite a number of um, interviews and um, affidavits submitted on behalf of community members. Mm-hmm. You'll see that one of the respondents was also actually a a former VIT student, a blind VIT student, who also spoke about his personal experiences whilst living in Yeovil and how the 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 operational hours of some of these institutions actually hampered his access, his his ability to move around in Yeovil and to study. So we had quite a wide variety of um, of um, people in, in support of our of our application from various aspects. Like I said, the Teddy Bear Clinic, we had Dr. Omar, mm-hmm. who did a who provided us with evidence on the impact of alcohol. We had Malusi, um, who's one of the applicants that I spoke to you about, mm-hmm. and also we had someone from the clergy also coming to our aid and um, indicating to us the impacts of alcohol in communities. Anela, who was your judge? Um, oh, I can't Matujani. remember. Yes, Judge Matujani. Yes. Yeah. Was he with you all the from from the beginning all the way, or he could was? You, could you tell? He was. He was, and it was yeah. quite. It was quite refreshing. Yeah. He was well prepared. He knew our underst- He knew our arguments, and he also yeah. actually did give the um, our opposition an opportunity to ventilate and take take him through. Um, uh, their, their line of arguments, such as the importance of the economic, um, the economics of the, 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 the Shabines, the fact that we had taken so long in actually bringing this application, because that was also a, 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 a issue that was brought to us, and the number of people that we were actually impacting, um, uh, with this particular judgment. And just to show the magnitude of this matter, the people that who attended in court were just one of the associations that are impacted. When we wanted to initially serve this application on, on the people whom we were, we thought would be affected, we, we realized we couldn't. When we sat down with a list that we'd obtained from the, um, the department as to who are the affected Shabin owners, there were a number of addresses that were incomplete, areas we had no yeah, it idea. It must have been of. a nightmare to serve these papers on, on all these people and to find the Shabin owners. Complete nightmare. So, yeah. We had to get we had to get creative about how we were going to bring this message across to the people who need to come up and say why should we not be um, granted this particular order? So we took we we actually looked to some of our clients mm. who were who uh, who are owners of newspapers to assist us and actually public public um, publish um, the notice of our application on their various media platforms so we can access these people whom we need to engage with on this particular issue. Some of the respondents, let me read them out. The MEC for Department. Of Economic Development, the Chairperson of Gauteng Liquor Board, Minister of Trade and Industry, these are heavyweights that have access to the best lawyers. Why were they so intent on opposing you? Why didn't they say you make a good point? You, The, the community should have their day in, they should have an, an opportunity of objecting. Well, you know how government does not like to admit in certain instances that they're wrong. So they their primary issue was that we have gone along with this particular system for so long. Why are you coming now at this late juncture to 
um, to, to object. And actually, we are of the view that we've satisfied that particular requirement of giving communities the opportunity to speak. And we said that is insufficient. And the example of that meeting that um, Maurice spoke to you about was one of the examples that the states used in support of their satisfying the public participation requirement. Mm-hmm. And the judge said that is that is that is insufficient. That does not even begin to meet the threshold that has been set by the constitutional court, the highest court in the land, as to what exactly suffices as um, satisfying the public participation requirements. Okay, so let's take it very simply. If I want to open a shabin now, what is it? What do I have to do, Maurice? That's, you're stuck. Yeah. You're, you're stuck. stuck. You're yeah. stuck because basically what happened was uh, uh, when we. Initially, you know, after the they refused to just even talk to us, mm. uh, and we brought the case about a year into the 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 time, they the 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 MEC for Economic Development issued a government gazette in which he suspended the entire process yeah. uh, because they recognised mm. that it would be foolish for them to continue mm. uh, and then have to deal with the consequences if later on. They lost the case, which they did. Mm. Uh, so they, they, what they did was they reverted to the Shabin permit system. Yeah. And they said all of the people who've got permits, those permits will remain uh, intact and of uh, in force until such time as the case is resolved. Mm. What then happened uh, with the, the court case. Yes, what did the, what did the uh, judge the actually say? The judge yeah. said yeah. – well, the judge said that – what the state was doing was completely inconsistent with the aims and objectives of the Gauteng Liquor Act of 2003, yeah. their yeah. own act. Yeah. He Secondly, he said they've got two years in which to resolve the situation, mm. two years in which to come up with an alternative solution. Mm. But for that period, the Shabin permits will remain in force. Mm. But the problem is that uh, for, for anybody who wants to uh, get a Shabin now mm. is that the requirements of the regulations are that you have to have had mm. a Shabin in, permit mm. from 2004. Mm. Yes. So Do I know, I know there were some of the associations which were contesting that, mm. uh, but of course, anybody, if you want, you know, anybody wants to open a liquor outlet today, yeah. there are many other ways in which you can do that. Mm. You don't have to open a Shabin. You can open a pub. You can open a restaurant. A and so, on. so those are still available to people. Uh, but as far as Shabins go, that, that, that can't So happen. the bottom line is that the judge said that the, that the law's got to change kind of thing. Is that mm. – are we waiting for a change in the law? Yes. Yeah. So what the – yeah. The department is now required to do is that obviously their regulations which sought to convert the permits to the licenses, mm. those will remain in place because they obviously can't take them away as there'll be a gap in the law. Mm. They now have to go back to the drawing board and put together new regulations that are going to be in line with his pronouncements and the judgments and afford communities um, an adequate opportunity to object to the conversion of a Shabin um, permit to a Shabin license. Okay, so also they're all very technical lines. You yeah. want to say something? Yeah. No, I actually just wanted to find out because there are Shabins, there are Tavins. Are there differences? Yeah, and yes. if so, uh, at the new, at uh, this ruling, how is it going to affect the other in, so, in, in the case of a Tavin? So what these regulations sought to do is that they obviously, did, they, they, they recognize that Shabins are different to your Tavins, your sports bars, and so on and so forth. 
but they sought to try and bring those under that umbrella. But in doing so, they didn't, they did not do it properly. Like you'll recall that a tavern requires a bathroom and certain, certain facilities to be available. So if you want to open up a tavern as of today, you can still do that. You are not affected by these regulations. You're only affected if you're a Shabin permit holder. Mm. All you'll need to do is just say to the government, okay, I want to now convert my permit to a license. What do I need to do? Who do I need to notify? Yeah. Anila, the, the bottom line is in future, if anyone wants to apply for a, for a Shabin license, they, the, the community must be involved. Is, is, that, is, that, is that a fair statement? Co- and that's what you set out to achieve, Correct. and that's what's been achieved. Co- yeah. So if people out there, the public are listening, they're saying, hold on, my, my suburb is, is running crazy with all these Shabins. I can't stand it anymore. They must know that in future they will have the right to object. Correct. The same, yeah. they, they'll be given the same opportunity that they actually have now yeah. when someone wants to open a tavern. Because what you then require to do is to publish it in a, a, a newspaper, yeah. and you are given an opportunity to object. You weren't given that opportunity. This is a great result, isn't it? I it's mean, a phenomenal it's, result. It's, it's groundbreaking for, it's a phenomenal for, for result. all of us. It yeah. is. Marvelous. It is. But, yeah. but Gary, I think I want to add something, though. One of the challenges we have, and I now work for a, a small NGO called the Southern African Alcohol Policy yeah, Alliance. I've looked them up. Yeah, well done. It's, uh, it's yeah, a regional yeah. body mm. that covers eight different African countries. And the, obje- the objective of SAPA mm. is to, in all of these countries, to give the public more of a say in the formulation of policy and the implementation of policy around alcohol. And this is a global problem, by the yes, way. Yes. There's, a, there's also a, a, a called a Global Alcohol Policy Alliance. And one of the things that is a challenge uh, around this question of licensing, I mean, how many people around the table here know, might have known or of our listeners know that for all the other licenses – that there is a process through which people have to advertise in the newspaper or advertise in the government gazette mm. or advertise on the building and that they have a right to object. I would hazard a guess that mm. the majority of people in the country no, no. do not know. No, absolutely. So that's why people suddenly wake up one day and find there's a liquor outlet nearby them mm. and they've had no say in the matter. Maurice, so, I, I need cut you now. Forgive me. I'll tell mm. you why. Something that really I find extremely interesting is how – Worksman's, the top lead, one of the top legal firms in Johannesburg, took on this case. It was a massive undertaking. They could have lost it, mm. in which event they pick up all the costs and all the hard work mm. they did. I'm, I'm fascinated from, as a lawyer of, as to how the pro bono legal department of a, of a firm like Works, Worksman's works. So I spoke to Anelia about it, and she said, Gary, there's a man called Dakalo Singo. He's, I think he heads it up. And let him come and talk to us about the pro bono legal department. So we're going to run a separate show on it. We're going to bid you please stay for the second part. Many thanks for this. Well done for having the gumption to take everyone to court. It's very great of you because it helps all of us. We have to stamp this out. Mm-hmm. If there's a proliferation of shabins, uh, you know, all over the place, I'm very pleased that that will now stop in time. Very good. Now, one last yeah. thing I'd like to just mention is that you mentioned those three, the three first respondents. Mm. What was interesting about the case was the DTI, yes. in fact, said we have no interest in the case. We are not going to – we will abide by whatever decision. And I think it's important to note that there are very strong people in government who are pushing 
for uh, reform of alcohol legislation, trying to make things uh, 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 more protective of I public health. I think we'll health. get you back, Maurice, on, on, yeah. on liquor generally, liquor mm. liquor. Yeah. We'll get you back. In the sure. meantime, many thanks to you, Maurice Smithers, and to yourself, Anella, but you're going to stay with us. And uh, we'll be back. It'll be a separate podcast. Thank you for this. This is CliffCentral.com.